smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal, Benedetto! And Bagnon, fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Benyera, beautifully done, sensational. Hello and welcome along to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast brought to you with BT Sport. Uh, I am Matt Spiro and I'm delighted to be back in the hot seat after David Crossan um, did, a, did a wonderful job yesterday whilst I was on holiday. Dave is back on the panel today. How are you, David? Yeah, good, Matt. And you? Yeah, very well. We're joined by Armel Tangi as well. How are things, Armel? Not too bad at all, thank you. Armel's uh, girlfriend has gone away for two weeks. Yep. And so. He's, so we're in lockdown, and Armel has got. He, he can't wait to spend every evening watching football for the next two weeks. Yep, I've uh, succumbed to my own pressure and subscribed to just about every TV channel out there now to watch every game I well, possibly you do need, can. Yeah, you need a lot of subscriptions to get all the games in France, but... Uh, you know, it, it, it'll be nice. It'll be nice. You'll miss her, but it'll be a good couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to talk Ligue 1. Ligue 1, Uber Eats, of course. Paris Saint-Germain in seventh heaven. It's seven wins in a row for two calls men. They're top of the pile now. Lille stay unbeaten, but they couldn't find a way past 10-man OL last night. And uh, Monaco got some uh, inspiration from their German, Kevin Volland. We'll be featuring those games and all the action from France in the uh, in this podcast, Le Bourgeois. We're going to start with the big game, as we often do. That was Lille against uh, Lyon. Uh, Lyon back in form, a couple of wins, and uh, they travelled north with high hopes of making it three wins in a row. Here's what happened at the Stade Pierre Mauroy. Andy Scott is the commentator. Back to Yilmaz again. Laid off for the shot from Bamba. It's a terrific hit. It's a fabulous goal. Thiago Mendes looks up, he's seen uh, Awar at the back post, Dusem Awar. Awar shoots and it's gone in, it's an own goal. Lyon a level, just like that. And make no mistake, that was a shot from Usem Awar. But uh, not sure it was heading in until it struck the chest of Zeki Shelik. Yes, well we saw uh, Lille uh, starting strongly, wonderful goal from, uh, from Bomba. Uh, Leon hit back. Bit of luck with that with that hour deflection. Um, Marcelo, what do we make of the sending off, guys? Marcelo was sent off early in the second half for a, a second booking, and that that did change the game because Leon uh, effectively tried to to shut up shop and did a pretty good job of doing that. Was it was it a fair sending off, Armel? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've been fairly critical of sending off so far this season. I'll carry on. I don't see how the first yellow was a yellow card for Marcelo, who's, <clears throat> excuse me, not exactly uh, the tidiest of defenders, but this was one of his more uh, menial challenges. He just went up for a header and got skull instead of bull. Not really a yellow, but it did change the game. Bizarrely, not so much in Lille's favour. I thought Leon were very well organized compact and did the job brilliantly when they went down to to 10 men frustrating for Lille a word just as well about Rudy Garcia who sent on Jamel Benalambri the Algerian uh, defender who who was signed just a few weeks ago he's um an African champion 
with Algeria. It's interesting because he's 30 years of age. This is his first spell in uh, in Europe. Um, but he looked impressive and he, and he really looked sort of determined and, and dogged and may well be a player that that, that can improve this this uh, this Leon side. Yeah, it uh, makes it worse for Lille that they couldn't break down that defence with the extra man, given it was Ben Lamry alongside Sonali Diomonde, the young Ivorian defender. And they'd have fancied their chances, but they hardly created anything in those 40 minutes after Marcelo was sent off. And uh, yeah, Ben Lamry looks a, a shrewd acquisition. I admit, I didn't know much about him at all when he joined. He'd hardly played in 2020, so short of match fitness, not that you'd have known from the way he played. And with Marcelo banned and Jason Denier potentially still sidelined, we might see him again next weekend. Yeah, so, I mean, two points dropped for, for Lille, ultimately, isn't it? I mean, they, they drew 1-1 at Nice last weekend, um, came from behind to draw 2-2 with with Celtic. So, you know, they're still not losing, um, but they are losing a bit of ground at, at the top. Armel, Christophe Galtier uh, should be should be concerned or, you know, is a draw, you know, ultimately a draw with Nice and a draw with Lyon. No, they're not, they're not bad results. I don't think Galtier will be concerned, no, Um He'll be disappointed, as we've said, because it's two points dropped rather than one gained playing against 10 men in a game that both coaches had billed as their own little Champions League this season. Um, Lille, I think, what with the injuries to Paris Saint-Germain's squad, currently have the the best uh, strength in depth, the best squad available to them at the moment. So they'll be able to rebound and they're a team on a positive dynamic rather than one looking to address concerns, in my opinion. But uh, definitely they need to start getting wins under their belt after two draws. And Dave, what a goal as well from, from Jonathan Bomber. It was a lovely layoff by Burak Yilmaz. Uh, Bomber had another attempt that was well saved by Anthony Lopez in that game. He, he looks like a new player this season. Four goals already. Uh, he managed just one last season, having scored 13 the year before when Bomber, Pepe and Ikone were was were, was so good. I mean, this you know this could be his breakthrough season. He's twenty four, um, ready perhaps even to to break through with the national team with the French national side. Well, France are very strong, so I'm not sure about that. But uh, he's definitely looking like the bomber of two years ago. Four assists as well as his four goals, and only Mbappe's been involved in more goals than Bomber this season, which shows you how well he's been playing. And he he's got a good link up with Burak Yilmaz. We say it every week that what they do need is someone else to come to the party, whether that's going to be Yazidji in the league. He nearly scored direct from a corner against Lyon, whether it's Jonathan David who came off the bench and still hasn't broken his duck or whether it's Ikone because they are overly reliant on Bomber and Yilmaz going forward at the moment. Lille uh, a second with, with 19 points, a couple of points behind PSG. Lyon up to sixth now um, and you know going, going quite well. I'm going to just... Uh, put my head on the line, is that to which we say that, um, and, and say that I think Jonathan Bomba isn't far, isn't that far away from a France call-up. And I, and I, I could see him um, breaking into Didier Deschamps' side this season. If Ikone was making it last season, I don't see why Bomba can't this season the form he's currently in. Yeah. Uh, but before the podcast, Armo, we were talking about that horrible tackle that Jonathan Bomba got with the France yeah. under-21s. Hamza Chowdhury. Chowdhury of Leicester. Um, it was... It was an absolute. He, he was sent off Chowdhury for mm. for that tackle, but I mean, it, it 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 injured Bomber for many months. He was out for many months, and 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 he just seemed to have this apprehension, didn't he, last season coming back from the injury? And it just it shows you how much of a sort of setback it can be to to suffer a blow like that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really took took the wind out of him. Um, and as as we've seen just from his stats, you know, just one goal, and that came from the penalty spot last season. He's he's back to the player he was when he was playing alongside Nicola Pepe the the previous year, as you mentioned, Matt. But it's a uh, yeah, it's something you have to take into account. It's it's easy to forget over a thirty eight week or twenty eight week, as it turned out to be last season campaign, that a player wasn't able to prepare properly because he was nursing a serious injury and it knocked his confidence clearly because he's able now to beat a man you know when he gets the ball in front of a defender he's always very quick to to take him on so it's good he's he seems to be mentally back in the right place and Lille were profiting from that yeah he's a really balanced footballer and like you say capable of doing a lot of different things because he's got a great finish and he's capable as well of uh, you know going past opponents which is uh, an attribute that is uh, very valuable in, in the modern game. Um, Monaco have some attackers who are doing pretty well at the moment uh, too, particularly at the weekend. David Crossan commentated uh, their match, Monaco versus Bordeaux from the Stade Louis-Dur. Enrique. Ben Yedder's header takes a deflection. The whistle is gone. It's ended up in the back of the net. And uh, Rudy Bouquet has pointed to the penalty spot. A premature whistle. In Monaco's eyes, Ben Yedder saying, why couldn't you let that play? Ben Yedder sends Costil the wrong way, and Monaco have the lead. Monaco pressing for a second. Oh, and it's into the back of the net. They have their second. Jelson Martins, back-to-back goals from the Principality Club. They look in the mood to... Add to their tally before half-time. Caio Enrique into Ben Yedder. They are stretching Bordeaux here. And there's the third. Kevin Volant with his first Monaco goal. It's all clicking into place for Monaco this afternoon. Ben Yedder. It will reach Martins. Martins for Volant. It's 4-0. And the German has his second. The front three are tearing Bordeaux apart. 4-0, Dave, and uh, a pretty uh, pretty comprehensive victory for, for Niko Kovac's team. Yeah, three goals in three first-half minutes. Um, ben Yedder scoring from the spot, uh, and then Kevin Volant got on the score sheet after uh, Jelson Martins had tapped one in from an Aguilar cross, and yeah, they look good. Uh, Bordeaux surprised me with how badly they defended, considering the way John Louis Gasset gets them set up, and that Lauren Koscielny was back from injury, and that they'd had six clean sheets in eight games. They just left themselves exposed. They switched off after conceding the first goal um, as they tried to get back into the game, and Monaco took full advantage. And Volant looked by far the best he's been all season. That he was playing much closer to Ben Yedder, and we saw Ben Yedder's creative talents when he's got players playing off him. Now, I know it was written up in the, the sports press today as a 4-4-2 and Kovac says it was a 4-4-2. I'm not, I thought it was a much more flexible system than that. They were definitely playing with three attackers. Diop was playing deeper than Martins, who was playing down the left. Martins was very dangerous, a goal and an assist. Voland, though, was getting into the box a lot more than he has been when he's been playing out wide. Sorry, he's rewarded so- with two goals. The Lequipe had a 4-4-2 with uh, Ben Yedder and Volland up top. Yeah, and uh, Jelson Martins left and Sofiane Diop okay. out wide on the right-hand side. But Diop was playing much narrower than Martins and Martins was playing much further forward. So I'm, I'm going to dispute that. And Dave, just uh, I couldn't believe that first goal, the penalty. I, I, I was watching the commentary because I uh, trying to understand what, what had happened. So I was watching the highlights. Um, it was, I mean, pretty shocking from 
from the referee who blew his whistle. Just explain what happened. Yeah, uh, Ben Yedder's header hit Pablo's arm and looped into the corner of the net. But Rudy Bouquet blew his whistle straight away. And, and this all happened in the blink of an eye. If he'd left it one second, and we know what happens when there are the marginal offside decisions, you just let the play go and then you decide what's going on. And, and I was amazed that he blew his whistle and yeah. pointed to the spot. And I mean, Nico Kovac could be relaxed about it afterwards, but he said if Ben Yedder had missed the penalty, he'd have been furious. He would have been he furious. Been. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's easy for us to... to, to to watch on our TV and go, oh, why is the referee blowing his whistle? You know, I'm sure the referee, Rudy Bouquet, would admit he, you know, he, he made a mistake because he should have waited a couple of seconds. But, you know, this arguably cost Arsenal the European uh, title in, 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 in 2006, Dave, because the no referee... No one can remember that long ago. Yeah, I know, but, you know, um, Jens Lehmann came out and, uh, <laughs> what was it? Is it Eto? Eto pushed it past him and Lehman fouled him. And, and the referee, instead of just playing, if he'd have waited two seconds, Julie put it in and we could have carried on. 1-0 Barcelona. Arsenal would have had 11 men for the whole game, but he stopped it, sent Lehman off. Um, All I remember from that night, Matt, uh, Arsenal fans at two in the morning walking past my house singing the Thierry Henry song. So no, I don't have happy memories of that night either. They woke me up. That was me and my dad. But um, Armel, yeah. I, I, I also... So I was working on our highlights program yesterday. I was listening to Andy Scott's intro to the game and he said uh, Jean-Louis Gasset opted uh, to play Hatem Ben Arthur as a false nine in this form. And I thought, you're going to lose, aren't you? If you're, if, if, if you're playing Hatem Ben Arthur, you know, we talked about the fact that he's rusty. He hasn't played top level football for a long time. He's not a centre forward either. I mean, mm. but Bordeaux are not going to score goals, are they, with Ben Arthur playing as their main forward? Uh, false nine, does that mean main forward? Is there not someone in front of him? Well, no, false nine play generally. When you have a false nine, it means you don't have a number nine. Yeah, yeah. Ah, he's the right, centre okay. forward who will but then drop he's off. Not really. So the people are cutting in from. Yeah, you'll have wide. people making runs in behind. Okay. Theoretically, theoretically, yeah. they had Udan and Huang Weijou. But in which case, I therefore agree with your point that if you're going to associate Ben Arthur with Weijou and uh, Udan, who have hardly been prolific since joining Bordeaux, then. You're going to struggle for goals. Ben Arthur. Wee, wee Joe sounds like a diminutive Scottish striker. <laughs> the wee jaw. <laughs> Where's Andy when you need him? Yeah. Whereas a Huang sounds like something totally different. I, I, I'm going to defend Ben Arthur here because I, I was dubious about his physical conditioning having hardly played last season. But he looks thinner than when he was at Wren a couple of seasons ago. And he was putting in the defensive efforts. He was trying to stop Badiashil and Dizassi playing the ball out of defence. But the, the big problem was, yeah, that, that Jimmy Brion, Armel's favourite, wasn't playing. That he needs Jimmy. someone to make the run, someone to play off. Now, you, you want Ben Arthur in the free role playing behind someone, not as the, the furthest yeah. forward player. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, a very tall someone like a Giroud, I think. Would Shady be. Abate. Uh, loyal, loyal listeners to uh, Le Beau Jeu uh, know that Armel has been uh, championing Jimmy Brion, who's been edging towards his 100th goal and... It was a little bit sad that Armel was absent last week and he, and he missed the celebrations which were which were wild on the streets of Rennes, Bordeaux, all Jimmy's former clubs. Um, he got there. He got there, Armel, 100 up. And, you know, he's, he's, he's looking like he's, you know wants to get stuck in and, um, and make it a big, big 100, maybe. Yeah, he'll probably end the season on 100 goals, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to start some games. He's only started one match this season. Mm. Uh, I think Gasset's got to... Like, just let him have a go for an hour rather than bring him off the bench every time. If you've got a substitute in every game, it doesn't matter. You've got five substitutes. But at least set up with an actual centre-forward who's got an understanding with Ben Arthur and makes runs. 
Bordeaux 12th with uh, 12 points. Now, Monaco have gone above them. Monaco are 8th on 14. They they bounced back from a 4-1 thrashing by Leon the the previous weekend. Niko Kovac came out and said, I got the tactics wrong. Tried to play too high a line, made it easy for, for Leon. He was quite honest about that. Um, this is a new coach, a lot of new players, find, you know, finding their feet, Kovac finding his feet in, in Ligue 1. Dave, you commentated the game. Do you, do you sense, I mean, it was obviously a positive game for Monaco, but do you sense they're moving in the right direction? Well, at least he's got the players buying into his philosophy. That They're all very comfortable on the ball. And what you'll see in the Monaco system is that it is quite often Badia Schiel and Dizassi who have to play long passes eventually after they've knocked it about in midfield for a while. I think they could do with someone a bit more creative in the central midfield area. The Fofana and Tramenia are very promising players. You're looking to Diop, I suppose, to Golovin, play the passes. Golovin. Golovin's out injured at the moment. Yeah, But no, they had a much better look to them because I watched the game against Lyon the previous week and they did just leave Lyon half the pitch to run into, um, even though they did create quite a few chances themselves. Uh, but, you know, if you get Martins, Ben Yedda and Folland playing like that every week, then you're going to score a lot of goals and that eases the pressure on the younger players further back because they have the youngest squad in Europe out of all the, the five major European leagues. Average uh, age of a starting 11 this season of under 25. So, yeah, you've got to give them a chance. But Ben Yedda looks so much happier with having players closer to him. And he was dropping off, playing nice little passes, setting up chances and goals as well as scoring. You're listening to David Crossan on Le Bourge, the official Ligue 1 podcast uh, brought to you with BT Sport in the UK. We're going to bring you our Deja Who. I was uh, I was absent uh, last week. I was enjoying some, some nice time down on the south coast of France, actually. It's uh, really good, but managed to relax as well by listening to, to Dave, Tom Williams and Robbie Thompson on, 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 on Le Bourge. And I heard the Deja Who. Um, just in case you missed it, you have to guess So who who we're describing here. Um, Marseille born. I only made it at my hometown club the second time around. A knee ligament injury perhaps stopped me playing for France at the 2014 World Cup. After being in a galaxy of stars, I headed east. So it was a tough one from producer Ian Holyman. Um, the correct answer, Roman Alessandrini. Uh, we had some correct answers. Adam Cyrilnik, Joe McCall, John Dalotto from Boston, Massachusetts, Alex Tremblay, Liam Wraith, and not Habib Bar this time. Habib Bar suggested Samir Nasri. Um, so bad luck, Habib, but uh, you've got another chance to bounce back with this week's Deja Who. If you do know the answer, send us an email, league1podcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag Le Bourgeois on Twitter. Here we go. I'm one of many African players who took their first steps in Europe, here in France. After making my pro debut in the land of Quiche, I really made my name in Mozart's hometown. England has been my home now for six years. Tricky one again, they are getting tough, but uh, I'm confident that our loyal listeners will, uh, will know the answer to that one. Do send your answers by email, league1podcast at gmail.com or using the hashtag Le on Twitter. Let's move back to the Lou, 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 the, sorry, the Ligue 1 Uber Eats <laughs> action. Um, so many sponsors to get into to, to, to everything these days. Um, Red against Brest. Arnold Tangi loves a Breton derby. He had one 
on uh, Saturday. Let's hear what happened at Roseanne Park. Ball back for Fossurier to cross for Mounier. Holds it up, it might come for Honorat. And Brest have the lead. Quite an unbelievable turnout for the visitors. Into the final 25 minutes of play, it's Del Castillo's free kick. Towards the back post and Damian de Silva once again on the score sheet for Wren. Approaching the final 20 minutes of play, Bourigeau's corner kick, it's Aked! And it's that centre-back combination again. They're doing the job this season for Wren, just the two of them, De Silva and Aged. Three goals apiece for the centre-backs and Wren have turned this game on its head. Well, Armel, I was getting a bit worried for Wren when I saw that they were a goal down because uh, they're stumbling a bit and coming up they've got Chelsea and PSG, um, but... To their credit, Julian Stefan's men turned it around. As you said in your commentary, the the two centre-backs doing the doing the business again. A really important 2-1 win for them. An important win. A disappointing derby. A strange derby, of course. The first one with no fans whatsoever. The first game for a while at Rosen Park with nobody at all. And it, I think it it played on the on the on the team who would have been a little tired after the Euro, their European adventure. Um, beaten quite comfortably although it only ended 1-0 in Seville last week um and it was a it was a, a changed side that they put out but something wasn't wasn't quite happening in their transitions from defense to attack and perhaps that missing something might be called Eduardo Camavinga who despite his age is clearly so important to the team they still had Steven Nzonzi in who uh, was breaking up play left right and center but um yeah, I mean they can thank those those two centre backs again. Um, three goals each for the season, De Silva and Aguerd, and it's a strange one really because Girassi hit the ground running with three goals in his first three starts since signing from Amiens in the summer. He's slowed down, and I just worry now that Wren, with the fixture pile up, are just running out of gas a little. Had Brest not been so poor, they probably would have struggled more for a result in that game. What did, what did you make of Doku, the uh, the young Belgian record signing? Um, he's 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 had some promising performances. I think he he battled hard against Seville. Yeah, didn't didn't, didn't get a, a very good mark from Lequipe for for his weekend performance. He's um he's undoubtedly got lots of talent um and pace and creativity when when on the ball. Uh, his decision making is perhaps you know the only thing that shows you just how old he is. I'm quite surprised he's already capped five times by the Belgian senior national team because he's a uh, he still looks a little you know rough around the edges but there there's talent there and I don't know Dave big fan of uh, creative attacking number 10s and such he, he's got similar to to Neymar that he likes to stop play kind of step over the ball shoulder back before actually going anywhere you're probably a fan of that style aren't you I'm expecting great things of him because a friend of the show, Mark Rodden, who's commentated a lot of Belgian football in his time, sent me a message when Doku signed saying, I'm amazed that Wren have got him. And I, I trust Mark's judgment. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, despite these initial mildly disappointing performances. He's got to learn to play with the team. I think that's the other thing. He's doing quite a lot on his own. And I, I actually like seeing that. I want to see players take risks. I don't want to see just sideways passes and people being down on place. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Is he better than Rafinha yet? No. no. Rafinha was playing really well just yeah. before he yeah, left. Yeah, yeah.
He's only 18. He's only 18, Doku. Just uh, didn't Mark Rodden also tell us that Jonathan David was an unbelievable signing and he was going to score 58 goals this season? Or wasn't it Berger Merling? Someone told us that Berger Merling was going to be... Yeah, that was him as well. Okay, yeah. yeah. We need to get Mark on the pod to talk about these (laughs) these Belgian-based players. Um, And Norwegians, apparently, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, he he, he knows his stuff. Interesting, we did a bit of a... I'm getting sidetracked, but we didn't mention Jonathan David uh, while talking about Mm. the Leon-Leal game. I tried to, I just don't think you were listening. You try? Yeah, I did. I said he came on, didn't score. He still hasn't broken his duck. Sorry, Dave. That's all right. I'm Sorry, used Dave. to it. I'm used I, to it no, on I mean, this podcast. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he missed the penalty, didn't he, um, against Celtic? Yes. Um, so, yeah, Jonathan David clearly has a confidence issue. And uh, it, it's difficult for him at the moment because even when people talk about him, apparently I don't hear when people are talking about him. Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. That's all right. I won't um, take it personally. Ren, third, 18 points. Um, a point behind Lille they'll be yeah they'll be wary won't they because that's such a such a good start and it's kind of what we alluded to a little bit that it was going to get tough for them when the European game started they've got to go to Chelsea but the great thing for them is if you've got that set piece threat and Aguerd and De Silva are chipping in with goals that's the way you get through games when you're not at your best that you know that as long as you're there or thereabouts that if you get yourselves free kicks and corners then you're going to be a threat and that can that's a good fallback option when your attack's not firing. Edouard Mendy hasn't conceded a goal yet for Chelsea. It would be uh, be ironic if Wren stuffed a few past him uh, at Stamford Bridge. On a on a positive note, because obviously he's left Ligue 1, but I tell you what, Alfred Gomez has stepped quite well into into big shoes that have been left at Wren because uh, he was fantastic against Seville. They would have lost mm. 3 or 4-0 had he not been there and he made a big, big, big double save to, to stop Brest scoring a second uh, at the yeah. weekend as well. Yeah, so. I saw that. I wanted to mention that. I think, I think fair play because... Uh, yeah, Senegal are, are producing some top, top goalkeepers. Edouard Mendy and... Uh, I wasn't sure about Alfred Gomez. He'd looked decent at, at Dijon, but he's really, yeah, he stepped up really well at, at, at Rennes. Um, let's move on because Robbie Thompson uh, isn't with us today. He, he, he told us he had some important PSG player to interview or something. But um, as he isn't here, we've pushed PSG to, to, to the back of the running order. But don't worry, les Parisiens, we have commentary from uh, the Bourgeois where Nantes played Paris Saint-Germain and David Crossan Saw this one. Mbappe, chance, goal. Paris Saint-Germain needing only two minutes of the second half to go in front. And it's Ander Herrera. How PSG needed that. Mbappe. Lafont comes out to meet him. The penalty is awarded, though, by Hakim Ben Hajj for the foul on Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe's seventh goal of the league campaign, taking him clear at the top of the scoring chart. Oh, it's given away. Should be three. Is three. Sarabia finds the back of the net. Non complaining that Hacking Bell El Had should have stopped play as they had someone injured. They 3 0, but 3 0 PSG, but perhaps not. That, that doesn't tell the whole story, does it? They weren't really fluent and Nantes had the big chances in the first half. How Moses Simon missed his chance. He kicked into his own leg when he had an open goal. Uh, and then Colomani missed a decent chance. There weren't actually any shots on target in the first half, like in Armel's game, Ren Brest earlier in the day. They were the first league and matches of the season without an effort on target. Uh, and then PSG didn't look that sharp. And 
we've got used to them now being disjointed with all of the the players that they have absent and the changes that Thomas Tuchel makes. Moyes Keane, after scoring four goals in a week, wasn't as good as he had been in the first half and went off with a, a slight ankle injury at half time. But they were a lot better in the second half. They were helped by some shoddy non-defending and uh, managed to get their goals. And uh, Kalon Navas managed to save a penalty without it being retaken and him getting beaten again yeah, by I, saving I, from I, Abdul Kadabamba. Yeah, but it was interesting on the replay because he, he he seemed to take a step back so that he could then take a step forward and be on the line. I, you know, I, 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 looking at the replay, I felt like something he's maybe worked on because he, he, he had to, or who was it? Um... Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes was yeah. allowed to retake the penalty yeah. in the Champions League because Navas advanced too too early. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the impression it gave me. And that, I know, the positives for for PSG, they got through the game and won it quite comfortably in the end. And uh, Mbappe set up a goal, scored from the penalty spot. Uh, he went off as a, a precautionary measure in the second half, but he'll be okay for their game uh, against Leipzig. Um, I don't think we are going to see them firing on all cylinders for a while. They've got this eternal problem in midfield, which is why Marquinhos is going to be needed in midfield, apparently, according to Thomas Tuchel all the time. Danilo played centre-half. Again, you still can't really assess him because apart from the the chance that wasn't his fault, um, Nantes didn't do all that much. Killian, Killian missed a couple of... Very good chances, didn't he? I, I just when I see that, and again, I was only watching the highlights. I just wonder if it's if if it's potentially a problem for him that he's having these games where he he knows he can miss chances and he'll still get another one. Uh, I don't think his best finish is the one where the ball comes in from the right and he's got to side foot it uh, into the other corner. That um, he missed two chances like that and dragged both of them well wide. He's much more accomplished cutting in from the left and putting it into the other side, as as we all know that sort of Thierry Henry style finish or an instinctive finish. But those where he can see the ball coming across mm. him from the right, I just don't think technically he's quite there. But we've seen him work on weaknesses in his game before, including penalties, including heading. He'll do it with that. He's still going to improve. I I take your point though, Matt, because we saw in the final eight of the Champions League last season that. It was more Neymar than Mbappe guilty of missing, you know, golden chances for PSG, which didn't come back to haunt them until the final. But it is not that we're going to be the ones that are going to say Ligue 1's, you know, not up to the level for a team competing for a Champions League final, because I don't think that's true. But you do need to put those chances away against the likes of Nantes if you want to against the likes of uh, Bayern Munich. Listen, I think, you know, PSG have won seven straight. They've they've roared to the title quite comfortably the last the last two years. We're allowed to say, you know, that other teams need to step up to the plate. And I, I feel at the moment PSG should be um, having to work harder for their for their victories. You know, Nantes should have scored one or two goals in that first half. They played well enough to. And, you know, I, I think you, 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 you can see, you know, around Europe, the big teams are dropping points. And and that's natural because they're playing every three days and, and, and it's very difficult. And I think Ligue 1 has to has to start making life more difficult for PSG. But it's a mentality thing, isn't it? And uh, we get the halftime interviews when we commentate the games and mm. they spoke to uh, the non-player from memory. I think it was Imran Luzer, the young midfielder who was captaining the team. And he was asked, so uh, having wasted those two chances, is that your chance gone? And even though he came up with an answer that suggested they'd give it a go in the second half, you could see in his attitude that yeah. he felt like it probably was the chance gone. And apparently in the, in the dressing room afterwards, they were all sitting there smiling. I, I haven't seen this footage, but it was Canal Plus who were talking about it. 
sort of five minutes after the final whistle, you've lost 3-0 at home. And they were all laughing and waiting for the PSG players to bring the shirts to bring, you know, and and because they were happy to come away with, with a, you know, a Neymar or an Mbappe shirt. I should now just be, I, I don't know, the league should make it illegal to get shirts off the PSG players. It's, it's becoming a bit too much. <laughs> I'm too young to be cynical about this already, but it's it's doing my nutting how many times they ask for, for PSG players' shirts by half time or whatever. But then again, if you're going to give the captain's armband to a guy called Loser, how do you, how do you think you're going to end up? He had a nice assist for the Sarabia goal, though. He couldn't have played it any better to Sarabia. <laughs> from inside his own box. Yeah, it was a bit of a disaster for Imran Luza, but in his defence, he's he's a good player. He is, he is a good player. And uh, great to see a young lad wearing the captain's armband at uh, at, uh, at Nantes. We're, we're going to talk about a big fixture coming up um, next weekend. Uh, one of, if not the biggest fixtures in the French calendar. Certainly the biggest regional derby. Um, I'm talking about Lyon and Saint-Etienne, of course. Now, Saint-Etienne are in a little bit of a run of bad form let's say they had that great start winning their first three games but it's not been great for Puel's team since then and they lost 1-0 um, at home to Montpellier at the weekend uh, Steffi Mavadidi scored a, a really good goal um, fair play to the Englishman he's got a couple now and uh, Mavadidi's doing doing quite well but guys Leon Saint-Étienne next Sunday it's the big game it's live on BT Sport in the UK uh, 2000 UK time uh, 2100 or 9pm local time in France Um and it's a fixture that I've loved ever since I, I moved over to France. The first years, it was, it was always uh, tough. When I talk about the first years, I'm talking about in the noughties for me. Um, very tough for Saint-Étienne because Lyon were, were top dogs. They won the league seven years in a row and they just seemed to love sort of uh, torturing Saint-Étienne because there'd be games even when Saint-Étienne would do well and Lyon would score a, a late winner. I was at the Stade de Gerland in 2005-06 when Lyon won the league title and they... They'd just been crowned champions and they got to celebrate it in the home match against Saint-Étienne and they all dyed their hair um, in sort of blue, red and and white colours and they just not only destroyed Saint-Étienne but they sort of took any semblance of of, of pride that Saint-Étienne may still have had and it was it was just so humiliating and uh, yeah, and Saint-Étienne have, have hit back since then so I want to talk a bit with the boys about best memories of, of of this fixture it's it's a real traditional game in in France Lyon is seen as the sort of bourgeois uh neighbors of Saint-Étienne the famous uh, Saint-Étienne president Roger Rocher who uh, helped oversee so many of their league title wins in the 60s and 70s said that Lyon is a suburb of Saint-Étienne uh, in footballing terms uh Dave you've enjoyed this fixture through the years I have yeah I'm I'm going to start by trying to bring it relatively up to date Claude Puel's first game in charge was the derby and Robert Beric scored right at the end of that game for a 1-0 of victory of Saint-Étienne that is right yes not of Lyon yeah, yeah. Of, of Saint-Étienne that was uh, last autumn I, I, I'm worried about Saint-Étienne I'll be honest they've lost their last five the last time they won a run this bad was just before Alain Perron got sacked and Christophe Galtier was appointed coach in 2008 at the end of 2008 but that's not my memory my memory is Nabil Fakir holding oh. up his shirt to the Saint-Étienne fans. Real provocation. I know Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo had done it before. He just scored his second goal at Geoffroy Guichard at the Cauldron, Le Chaudron, which was silenced as his second goal was the fifth of the game. Mm. And, and he held up his shirt. And, and, and that's something that the Lyon fans just loved. I know you could say it was silly given the context and things that go around the derby. 
But Fakir made himself even more of a hero with the Lyon fans by it's doing become, that. Yeah, it's become an iconic image, hasn't it? And mm. they they had that huge tifo at Lyon uh, with, uh, depicting yeah. Fakir with 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 the shirt. Well, the, the riot police had to be brought out. That's how much it means to these fans. The Saint Etienne fans just were not having Fakir was showing his shirt at the. At the had, had, yeah, we, we had Joel Bats as well when he was Lyon's goalkeeping coach going, and he almost provoked a, a riot when he hung a, a Leon scarf in in the goal. In, yeah, it was in, a supporters group scarf, wasn't it? Because the, yeah. the, the away fans were banned. I think he put a bad gone um, scarf mm. in the net and Remy Gard was wearing bad gone laces. It all gets a bit excessive if you're not yeah. part of that local rivalry. But uh, yeah, you've got to warm to the fixtures. Well, I've, I've, I've been, sorry, Armel, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go, go to you in a second. I've been at a few of these derbies and they're fantastic. I've never been at the, um, the training session the day before because they're, they're always massive events. Because the fans turn up in their thousands, mm. there are fireworks, there are banners, everyone's saying, you know, this is the game to win, and Derby again, or whatever these all these French funny French expressions, um, and you know the the, the players, they they sense it, you know, and even if they're foreign players who who haven't grown up with the rivalry, by the time the game comes around, they know this is a game they need to win. Remember Silvino last season? He went around almost taking supporters' hands off. His high fives were so powerful before the derby. That I've already forgotten Silvino. Was, yeah. was, was he ever there? Well, briefly, yeah. Armel, uh, memory, mem- derby memory? Yeah, my memory. So the, it was the, the first one that I uh, experienced when I, when I moved to France. So we're talking November 2015. It was the last derby to take place at the Stade de Gerland. And you'll like this one, Matt, because it was uh, an Alex Lacazette hat-trick that... Uh, that sealed it for... Must have been a long time ago. <laughs> for for Leon. But the reason I, I remember this one is because um, it uh, it all broke out into a, you know, a, a scuffle at the at the end of the game, as it so often does in this fixture. And uh, Umtiti, who was on crutches at that point, had to come on and, and get involved to separate people. And uh, Pierre-Yves Polomat, who nobody's really heard of since, um, went up, you know, up the tunnel, escorted out by Neil Mopé, Saw the camera and thought he'd make a show of it. So he, he says, uh, on my mother's life, I know where Tolisso lives. He grew up and he got slapped by his girlfriend at school, um, which Tolisso has clearly come out and denied since. But this, for me, is my first experience of a derby, having you know come over from the UK where derbies are fun. But this, I was like, oh, this has got, this it, has it, got is something. Is it bigger than a Wimbledon Charlton? Or... Uh, Definitely bigger than a Wimbledon Charlton. I mean, a, a Wimbledon Milton Keynes ha- ah. happened this week, this weekend, actually. But I mean, that's a, another story for another day. <laughs> but yeah, this you know, this is a derby that for me has got uh, something different, extra spice that I didn't necessarily see um, in in derbies in the UK. So I've I've always enjoyed it since as well. Yeah, I, I've I've had a, always had a bit of a soft spot for Saint Etienne. I love the, the city. I love the culture around the football club, and uh, I remember. I do have a lot of Derby memories, but Dimitri Payet scoring that free kick at Stade de Gerland, I think it was their first win at the Stade de Gerland for like 17 years or something incredible. Uh, that was the 100th Derby and it was just a massive moment. And what a free kick, just about 30 yards. There was one place Hugo Lloris couldn't get to and that was like right in the top corner. And uh, and that and that's where, where he put it. And, we, you know, we've seen these big Leon victories in, in recent years. You talked about the Fekir uh, celebration, uh, after scoring the fifth at the Stade Gelon. But back in the 60s, 70s, it, w- it was very often six or seven nil they're, they're, they're to Saint-Étienne. There were a few massive, massive victories. And one of my, one of my great uh, memories 
uh, I was writing a feature about the derby and I was interviewing some uh, some former players and Patrick Revelli, um, who I'm not sure if he was, I think, he, yeah, he was working in the marketing department because I remember him saying to me, <laughs> I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. He said, how am how am I supposed to market these lot? Give me Juninho. I've got to. I've got to sell Julian Sable. But Julian Sable, to be fair, you know he was he was a good lad. But anyway, we we went to a restaurant, um, and and it was just fantastic. Not just because he kept ordering more beers, but because they had a big they had a big screen. I think the restaurant was called Le Chaudron Vert. It was just right next to the stadium, and on the big screen they were showing Saint Etienne Dynamo Kiev from 1976 quarters or semi-finals. I think it was quarterfinals. And Patrick Reveille either set up or scored the goal to make it. They came from two down. They got got it to two two in the last minute and won it. I think Rochito in 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 extra time. And I was just sitting there thinking, this is just wow, this is just brilliant. And um, yeah, I try. He kept wanting to talk to me about Arsenal. We tried to talk about Saint Etienne, but yeah, so I've always had a soft spot, and I'm looking forward to this weekend. And one one final reason why I like it, Jimmy Brion. <laughs> yes, he him again. One of the only reasons he's a. Uh, become a legend somewhere by his 100 league goals of course was a 93rd minute winner at Saint-Étienne for Lyon in 2013 it's a fixture that has a lot of late goals Moussa Dembele is a a derby specialist and Mm. wonder if we'll get to see him Lyon are going to be big favourites no question uh, about that Sunday night do do your best to tune in uh, to watch it just a quick wrap of uh, the other results really good win for, for Nice uh, 3-0 away to Angers. It's been a, a good week on the football pitch for them with a, a victory um, in the Europa League as well. Mets, 1-0 victors away to Nîmes. They're up to seventh place. Um, uh, another goal from another of their Senegalese graduates from the Génération Foot Academy um, in Senegal. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Gay. Lamine Gay. Thank you very much. His first ever Ligue 1 goal. Dijon nil, Lorient nil. Dijon will be disappointed they didn't... Get a, a victory. They stay bottom of the table. Um, Raus, two wins in two for them now. Uh, victorious 2-1 against uh, against Strasbourg. Marseille-Lens was postponed due to uh, um, too many COVID cases, I think, at Lens. Uh, let's let's go on a bon voyage now. Um, we will have to fill out our attestations if we're going to go anywhere because France is now in, in lockdown. But plenty of good matches to look forward to next weekend. So before I, I put it to the table, some of the big matches, there are some really good games this weekend. I mentioned Lyon v Saint-Étienne Sunday, uh, November the 8th. That's at 9 o'clock French time, 8 p.m. in the UK live on BT Sport. We've got another big derby, Nice against Monaco, 4 p.m. in the UK on Sunday, uh, 5 over here in France. Uh, the Coupe d'Azur derby, plenty riding on that one. PSG against Rennes, it's uh, first against third at the Parc des Princes, Saturday, November the 7th, 9pm in France, 8 o'clock in the UK. That is also live on BT Sport, the uh, the broadcaster of Ligue 1 Uber Eats uh, in the UK. Armel Tangi, too much to choose from this weekend. Oh, we're spoiled, aren't we? Yeah. Um, but I want to go to Nice, Monaco. That's a, that's a game I enjoy. Um Every season, we're talking about derbies. This one definitely doesn't have the same spice to it than Saint-Étienne-Lyon, but it does also have the sort of working town against a glitz and glamour feel. Nice being the working town. Monaco, of course, needless to say, the the glitz and glamour 
Um, nice, who have been building up a head of steam recently, lost their captain Dante to what looks like a serious injury this weekend. We'll have to see how they bounce back to that from that. Sorry, but they've got so much attacking talent, and Monaco look to be back on form, but have also got a, a few defensive problems this season. So that promises to be an interesting encounter in the. Sunday afternoon game. I would have picked Nice Monaco if Armel hadn't, so I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to try Strasbourg Marseille on Friday night. Marseille are going back to Andre Villas Boas's former club Porto in the Champions League on Tuesday evening. I want to see how they play after that Champions League date. And Strasbourg are second bottom of the table, really need the points. Hopefully, Jerry Lore will have recovered from coronavirus by then to be able to set them back on the right track. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a bit shocked. I'm a bit shocked nobody's gone for the Rhone Alp derby, so I'm going to head... We knew you were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to head to the Group Armour Stadium uh, because it's a phenomenal derby, because I really want to watch Memphis Depay at the moment because I love this player and I, I feel like he was unfairly criticised uh, for his performances in the final eight, having had six months out, knee ligament damage. He worked so hard to get back. I think it was a phenomenal achievement that he played in Lisbon. Um, and in the last couple of weeks, we're seeing the proper Memphis Depay, um, the player that is co- is capable of winning matches on his own, dominating matches. And uh, watch out, Saint-Etienne, Memphis is is on the prowl. That concludes the Bourgeois for, for this week. Great to be back in the in the hot seat. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. We'll be back, of course, next, uh, next Monday. Another... Round, exciting round of action lies ahead of us. So from uh, Armel Tangi, Deb Cross and me, Matt Spirit, it's time to wish you a great week. We'll see you again soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Sensational.